Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is Mike from the sci-fi movie review podcast, Quiet on the Set. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. How's it going tonight? Hey, I'm doing really well, Mati. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Mike, you and I previously collaborated on your podcast to review the 2018 film Upgrade. I thought that was a super fun episode about a great movie, super underrated movie. Uh, So listeners should definitely check that out. I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, very good episode. I had a a lot of fun uh, going over that movie. And like you said, it's great sci-fi, low-budget movie. It was good. Yeah. So this movie that we'll be discussing today is a little bit less sci-fi and a little bit less low-budget. This week, we will be discussing Netflix's sci-fi-ish, superhero-ish action film, The Old Guard. So we'll start by warming up with a spoiler-free review of the film, then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, as always, we'll finish with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of The Old Guard. A covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identity a secret, just as an unexpected new member is discovered. The Old Guard stars Charlie Theron, Kiki Lane, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. It is written by Greg Rucka and directed by Gina Prince by Wood. I have the new one. And? She stabbed me, so I think she has potential. <laughs> so how old are you? We met in the Crusades. The Crusades? We killed each other many times. We fought thousands of battles side by side. So we really never die. Nothing that lives, lives forever. One day your wounds just don't heal up anymore. We don't know when. There's a lot to understand. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop burning. (laughs) So Mike, this is a uh, Netflix original film, which always, um, you know, brings a couple things to mind. But this is based on a graphic novel written by the screenwriter of this, Greg Rucka. Do you have any experience with that graphic novel? Uh, No, I had never heard of it before, but it's it's something that I will be checking out uh, based on if it's anything like the movie at all. I will be looking into it for sure. So what did you expect going into the movie? Because I, like you, had never heard of this graphic novel. Apparently it's acclaimed, but... Um, I was actually quite surprised in the movie uh, with the action sequences and everything. So I was um, I was expecting going into it to be kind of underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. But there was this overlying sense that... Maybe it would surprise me like a lot of other Netflix movies that I've been seeing lately. So I I had high hopes. Is there a reason that you were expecting it to underwhelm you? Like, is it because it's a Netflix movie? Does that carry a certain stigma to it? Or just being at home watching a film? Like, what about this specifically kind of scream that it might be underwhelming? There was, there's a little inkling of... You know, that feeling that you get when when you see that a new Netflix movie is coming out. It's not necessarily (laughs) anything wrong with Netflix. It's more so they can't always hit a home run. And, you know, you've seen that in plenty of other Netflix movies, at least I have. And going into it, I kind of said, okay, is it going to be one of these that I get really excited for? I like the synopsis of it and it kind of lets down. Or is it going to blow me out of the water or, you know, make me 
want to watch it again. Yeah, I think when you are swinging and up to the plate as often as Netflix is, you are bound to not hit home runs every single time. Um, so I definitely feel that there's it's always kind of risky, especially with these big budget, high concept kind of films that, you know, it sometimes feels like Netflix is putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. And like they've got this really great premise that seems like amazing. And then the movie is just pretty underwhelming. But it sounds like you overall like the movie. Is that fair? Uh, that's very fair. I was actually very surprised and I really enjoyed it. I found myself just really enthralled by it. Yeah. So what specifically did you like about it just generally? Um, I think the choreography, uh, the, like the action, the fight choreography was like top notch, top notch. Mm -hmm. Um, Charlize Theron, I see as an action star, surprisingly, I, I think maybe she's got the the look to it and kind of the the overall acting attitude that goes that pairs well with action movies. So, yeah, I was I was really interested with the with the the fight choreography that went on throughout the movie. The thing I like a lot about Charlize Theron is that she is this Academy Award winning actress, but no matter what movie she's in, no matter how stupid it is, she commits 100% of the time. Like you've got this movie, which is ostensibly a superhero movie, and she is just completely in on it. Same with Atomic Blonde, same with like the Fast and Furious movies that she's in for some reason. Um, <laughs> she is a very yeah. talented actor in a lot of movies that are quite campy or silly. Yeah, I would agree. She's 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 pretty versatile too. Mm -hmm. You know, I you look at a movie like this and then you look at a movie like uh 2003 Monster. She was in Mad Max. She was you know, she has done so many different different things and I think it it kind of lends to how versatile she really is. She is not only you know, doing really great stuff acting, but she's also producing and she's working on all these different things. And I, I, I got to give her credit for that. She's, she's doing a lot of great stuff lately. Um, even when she was doing, she just did a recent comedy, I believe it was called long shot. Yeah. With Seth Rogen. Yeah. And that, and you, and that even lends to that. I watched that movie. I enjoyed her in that. And even her doing something like a, a little romantic comedy is, you know, it just really shows her range. Yeah, she's a very magnetic presence. And I think that even if her character is unlikable, she kind of brings a likability to the character. Um, I did not particularly like Longshot, but like you, I, I did like Charlize Theron in Longshot. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. She was she was good in it. And like you said, it's that magnetism towards her acting and towards her as 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 a a being on the screen i think is is palpable absolutely and i mean i think like in longshot i think i would say i very much like charlie's theron in this movie but i don't know how much i like this movie unfortunately i think i was a little bit disappointed i can't tell if this movie is a good bad movie or a bad good movie and I think I'm inclined to think that it is a bad good movie because I think it is a very well-made movie. There's a lot of production put into the movie, and it's a very impressive movie in a lot of different ways. Like Charlie Theron, I think the entire cast is really quite good. Uh, there's no people standing out or any sore thumbs or any bad acting or anything like that. And 
overall, I think the uh, the the scope of the movie and some of the world building that they have is very impressive and interesting and fascinating. But there's something to the movie that feels a little choppy. Um, I feel like there's a weird amount of exposition in the film, but it's not always the right type of exposition. So there are kind of these large gaps in knowledge of how the characters are related to each other and why they care about what they're doing. Um, just these tiny little things. I don't know if you experienced any of that. Um, to a certain degree, I think they, they, they had to kind of give information as to the background of these characters and how they all kind of amalgamated together, but leave a sense of mystery uh, you know, we would get into, <laughs> we'll get into that with the spoiler parts, but sure. <laughs> there, there's a, you know, there's, there's a couple spots that are, like you said, they're very spotty, but I, I don't think it really hinders too much the mm -hmm. story per se. I think if anything, the little bits that they did give you as far as the character's history kind of makes you want to know more. And I think that in itself kind of bugs me a little bit because you want to know more about it, but you know, they're not going to dive that much into it. Yeah. I think that might be what's bugging me a little bit is that because you've got this um, story that kind of takes place in modern day, more or less. And that story is pretty straightforward. I would say, you know, there's big pharma, bad guy. It's some mercenary people that are trying to, you know, save themselves or save not really the world, I guess, but like, you know, save their team or whatever. We've seen that story a lot. And mm. I think the immortality is um, is something that is explored and sometimes in some really clever ways. I think, like you said, the action is really impressive. And there's a couple specific action beats that I think they use the immortality in these really cool ways that I'll definitely shout out in the spoilers. But overall, it feels like the immortality is kind of this thing in the back. And the much more interesting story to me is in a much larger scope. And would take a lot of like, I don't know, time hopping around from different locations and different periods in time. I think sort of like a, a longer arc of the immortality, like watching these characters go throughout the where they started in the Crusades and then the Salem Witch Trials and all of these things. I think the fact that it kind of like points to that and sort of alludes that there's this much more deeper and detailed backstory it's sort of like oh that's that's kind of what i want to watch not this uh more or less john wick again kind of thing <laughs> yeah I, I would agree it it does um it does make you want more that's for sure yeah and it definitely is set up to uh give us more um i think that that ending is clearly a setup to a sequel i'm not sure whether it's going to happen or not but this movie was definitely a hit i think it's on track to be one of Netflix's biggest original movies, but they say that for every single Netflix original movie that comes out nowadays. Have you noticed that? That's very true. They said that about Extraction, which was also a great movie, but you know, that brings up the fact is the old guard kind of extraction with a sense of fantasy to it. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it is. Um and I, I liked Extraction a lot. I don't think that that's a movie that I could stand on a uh, to stand on a pedestal and like scream, this is the best movie ever or anything like that. But for what mm. it is, it's, it's quite good. And I think this movie is, is very similar in that regard that 
you know, it, it's fine. It's not amazing or anything, in my opinion. And I kind of was maybe hoping that it would just take that second or third step to being amazing for me. But, you know, not every movie can be perfect. Unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be great? That's de definitely what we need is just perfect movie after perfect movie. That might be another thing is just that, like, you know, we get so few of these new movies nowadays that it's almost there. There's sort of an aspect of wanting everything to be the next best thing. Um, so maybe I'm holding this movie to a standard that I probably shouldn't be. Maybe it's the months and months of being stuck inside your home and being bored. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you hope that Netflix is going to give you another home run. One one of those things that we're all going to be talking about at the virtual water cooler the next day. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then you go, oh, well, I guess not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the things that really, really bothered me about this movie is the music in it. It had this like poppy trailer music during certain things that for some reason, you know, I mean, I sometimes I think that poppy music works great. But in this, it just didn't match the vibe of the film for me at all. And there were certain scenes that they felt like they were more like trailers for the next 30 minutes of the film or even like the end of an episode of TV or something. Uh, I would agree. As far as the soundtrack goes, there was, you know, some... I struggle with it because I'm, you know, I'm going to be 36 years old, so I'm not sure what these <laughs> kids are into nowadays. But you know, I there's there's some sort of hip hop soundtrack, and then there's a, a little EDM, and yeah. there's you know, it's it's a it's a mix that it's it's kind of screaming, hey, you know, this is a hip movie, and you should watch this. It's ac exactly like you said, kind of a, a thing that lends to a a, a clip. You know, hey, watch this and you'll hear the music and you'll say, yeah, I got to watch that. Yeah. And it also feels like it's like kind of trying to be hip or something like, look, we're young. We're we're into this type of I mean, you know, I, I'm not 36. I'm 25, but I still feel very old listening to music like that. And, <laughs> you, you know, this movie just feels like. It's going for this sort of regal um, atmosphere for a large part of it. I mean, there's some like funny parts in it and stuff, but for the most part, it's not like a Marvel movie. It's very serious and it takes itself very seriously. But then they have this weird like sort of – I don't even know how to explain it. It, it just it, – it feels almost like you, they're trying to sell you the movie. It's like here's a car commercial in the middle of this or something and wow, the music just makes me want to be happy. But it just completely took me out of the entire experience. Yeah. So there, there's – I kind of look at it this way. There is the core to the movie and this backstory that goes on to the movie that is quite possibly deep and meaningful. Mm-hmm. And then they wrap it in almost this vinyl wrap of shiny and presentable 2020 type of vibe. Hey, this is the new next best thing. And instead of kind of paying attention to the shiny, they really should have just kept that wrap off, focused on the core of the story and really conveyed that. I mean, even with the music, like you say, it it lacked a certain epicness i guess you you could say absolutely what how much is music important to you when in these types of films like because for me 
I mean, music is not often something I think about until you get a song or a score that's like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or Star Wars that is so iconic. But for a lot of these types of films, especially these Netflix films, it feels like music is just something that kind of just exists. So it's almost worse that it's like making me realize that there's music. I'd almost prefer that it was just completely uh, unmemorable. Um, Yeah. So music, I think, really can make or break maybe not entire movies yeah but definitely can make or break scenes if you're dealing with an epic battle that's going on big war or anything like that and you're playing something that's not equally as powerful then you're kind of downplaying the scene yeah you could say okay well it has all the elements on screen and it has all the elements in the story so what does the music matter well it it matters because you're supposed to evoke a feeling Mm -hmm. and whether it's a funny feeling a sad feeling romantic or just awe-inspiring it's it should be there in all its elements uh film is not just about the visuals it's definitely about the sounds that you're hearing that go along with those visuals just think about it this way if you're if you're watching a war movie and you're seeing all these guns go off and these explosions and planes flying overhead now imagine if you took all those sound effects away yeah <laughs> well i mean so in this movie there's a scene where they're kind of you know the climactic scene of the film is them fighting in this broad daylight um which is actually great i love action in broad daylight more of it please but they are in this very (laughs) pristine pharma building or whatever and on top of that action is this like almost edm club music and it just feels so weird yeah i think it's supposed to be i don't know i think the faster the music i guess is supposed to make the scene or maybe the the movements, the action movements mm. kind of feel equally as quick, which I don't know. Yeah, who knows? That's just my take <laughs> on it. <laughs> so as a uh, sci-fi guy, Mike, how important are rules of whatever the sci-fi or fantasy element of the storytelling is to you? Um, So I think if you're going to, with science fiction especially, mm-hmm. I think if you're going to, introduce those ideas into a movie you kind of strictly have to adhere to them there is some room for you know expansion room for creativity when it comes to it but i think with science fiction you kind of got to listen to the science part of it a lot and it needs to be somewhere within the acceptable realm with fantasy i think the bubble kind of grows and shrinks a lot more than science fiction or a lot more than, you know, nonfiction movies in general. I think there's a little more, there's a little more room, a little more headroom there. So do you think this film satisfies the rules or makes rules that it follows? Or um, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you, if you, if you look at it from a fantasy point of view and you look at it as a fantasy action movie, it it, it adheres to the rules for the most part. Mm-hmm. There are some little things, like you said, regarding the backstory that you kind of need explanation for 
and you want explanation for, but they left it very vague. So in the realm of fantasy, maybe you want to have that little bit of mystery where you kind of got to think about it. But do you really want to think about this movie days after you watch it? Do you really want to, <laughs> you know, get yeah. very hypothetical about it? And I don't know. No, this is definitely a movie that you watch and you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then you kind of turn it off. Um, but I think one of the nice things about this movie being kind of like a standard action film is that like if you're going to do one of these standard action films, I think the diversity on screen in this movie is awesome. And it's definitely something that's worth pointing out. You know, you've got not only Charlie Theron as a lead in an action film, which very, very rarely happens for women. You also have a woman of color in Kiki Lane, who I think does a great job. And then you also have a couple sporting characters who are um, LGBTQ. You've got Joe and Nikki, who are these other two immortals that are in a relationship. Um, and I actually found their relationship and their characters to be my favorite part of the movie. They, they were the ones that I thought were most interesting. I thought that they had a really good dynamic together. There's a part in the movie where they do get to be a little jokey and have some lightheartedness in the action. And I thought that that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, what were your thoughts on the kind of side characters of the film? Did you have any specific favorites or was it kind of just Charlie's Theron for you? Uh, like you, Joe and Nikki, I think really sold... I think they sold more of the backstory than Charlize's character did. I think Joe and Nikki, the, there, there is a point in the movie where it's kind of a, it's a little speech, I would almost call it. And it is the, it's one of the most beautiful and it it sounds ridiculous out of all cinema and, and everything (laughs) that you could possibly think of regarding romance. But I think it's one of the most beautiful depictions of love verbally that you could see on screen. And it's, it's very, it's very odd for for me to even hear myself saying that, but (laughs) it's, it just the words that are passed between those two characters in a specific scene are just amazing. They're beautiful. And that sold a history of love that sold a millennia as they call it of love between those two. Yeah. You really get a feeling that those characters of all of the characters in this kind of five person group or, you know, army or whatever they call them. You really get the feeling that those two characters actually know each other and there's an actual relationship between them, which makes a lot of their scenes a lot more interesting I also found that I was really happy that they weren't just kind of these characters that existed as, quote unquote, the gay characters in the movie. They definitely have a reason to be there and they're actual characters that like, you know, they're they're not they're not just, oh, it's Charlie Theron's gay sidekicks. It's their actual characters that have kind of their own um, actions that they do in the movie and they have an effect on the plot and they don't just, you know, like, I guess, tiny spoiler here, they don't just, like, die, you know, just for the sake of dying or whatever. They they are mm-hmm. characters, and they feasibly will be characters in the sequel and the prequel or, you know, whatever, wherever they go with this franchise. <laughs> so I really like yep. that there is, you know, this is a comic book movie with gay characters in it. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I would agree that the... And they, they do it well. The They represent it well, I think. And 
like you said, I, I, I think it's more than just these are the these are the gay characters. I think these are amazingly well thought out supporting characters. Absolutely. And they they definitely each you you know Charlize is the star, but they each stand up on their own and as a character they're I think they're all equally very important. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the other person that I thought was really great in this that we haven't talked about yet is Chiwetel Ejiofor. But I think in order to talk about his character, um, just to be safe, we should wait until spoilers. So um, mm-hmm. why don't we hop into spoilers? Before we do that, Mike, can you just uh, summarize your thoughts on the film and give it a score out of 10? Oh, uh, sure. So I thought the action was great. Uh, the action choreography, I think, I think is is enough to watch it on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlize's character, for as much as they probably could have dive, dove into a hundred other things, I think she was well well thought out in the story. I think all the supporting characters were, were well thought out in the story. Like you said, very diverse, and everybody kind of gelled together very well. There wasn't an outlier in the cast that I think just didn't vibe well with everyone else. Um, and, uh, out of 10, I, I'd give it a solid 7.5. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I think that the old guard is pretty good. Uh, there are some problems with it. I think it's a little choppy in places in a lot of ways, like a lot of Netflix films. I feel like it is a film that kind of wants to be a limited series. Um, but in order to do this limited series justice, you would need a really, really good budget for it. Um, because I think the film does feel very epic in its budget and just the way it looks is gorgeous. So I think if you did it as a limited series, it just wouldn't get the attention that it needed. But, uh, this film in general does remind me a lot of the series, uh, Sense8, which is kind of like to me, the Netflix sci-fi show in that it represents basically everything that Netflix does with sci-fi shows for better or for worse. It has this like great high concept it looks beautiful but it's just a little too ambitious for its own good and i think the narrative suffers for a lot of more kind of flashy things and i think the old guard is very similar to that but um you know it's not like an offensively sloppy movie or anything like that and i think it's a really enjoyable time if you're willing to look past some of the soundtrack issues so uh, i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten all right so with that, let's go ahead and hop into spoilers. Uh, I'm going to say spoilers for the old guard starting now. That's my secret, cat. I'm always angry. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is this Chiwetel Ejiofor character who... You know, is it's pretty clear he's a villain or at least like a little shifty right when you meet him. So it's not exactly spoilers to say he's the villain of the movie, but I wanted to, <laughs> yep. you know, just be careful about that. What were your thoughts of Chewie in this movie? Um, you know, there's there's certain actors that I think I don't know if it's Hollywood, I don't know if it's the writers, I don't know if it's just their face, but there are certain actors that I think in movies can never be fully made villains or (laughs) never be fully made good guys. Yeah. And yeah, that's nice. You get a lot of that redemption 
uh, with certain actors in movies. You get that, hey, I was an asshole at first, and now I'm a decent person after <laughs> you caught me out, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but he is, he's, I think he's one of those actors, and he's definitely that as a character in this movie. He is, he's the redemption character, I guess you could say. Um, there is another one when you look at Booker's story, but with him, it's it's not as evident and it's not in the forefront like it is with the with the Copley character. Yeah, I think uh, Booker's betrayal was actually a bit hasty, and then kind of his reversal to not betraying them was also pretty hasty, and that all kind of happened very quickly in the third act of this film, which I think was just a little rushed in general. But um, something about the Chiwetel Ejiofor character that I thought was bizarre was halfway through the movie, I was sitting there being like, yeah, I don't know if I disagree with him. Um, <laughs> like, yes, he was kind of an idiot to team up with this Dudley Dursley, Dursley Pharma guy because he's clearly a psycho and he has a power complex and all of this stuff. But like, I don't know, ending world suffering, saving diseases. It was a little hard to be like, oh, yeah, this guy definitely did something wrong. Um, I mean, so theoretically, these people, they can live forever. So I also don't totally understand the need to keep them locked up and continuously operate on them. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I know how biology and specifically this type of fantasy biology works. But my understanding is that you could probably just go up to them and be like, hey, can we borrow some blood or... <laughs> you know, why don't you undergo a surgery once and we'll do something, you know, kind of invasive to get like brain cells or stem cells or something. And then you can just be on your way. I feel like if I was immortal, I'd be like, yeah, sure. That, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll help out humanity. Yeah. Uh, more flies with honey, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you, could, you, you probably easily could have found out about them and said, hey, look, my, my wife died of ALS. I don't want to see people suffer like that. I know a guy, you know, and even if it's not this guy, we can find another guy that will take some some blood, will take some tissue. You guys will never have to even be named. You'll never nobody will ever know that you exist, but we're going to we're going to cure some stuff. I think that definitely could have been done. Um it wouldn't be a very fun movie though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then 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 we're writing a whole completely different movie. But <laughs> um yeah, the, the the thing, the only issue that I really had, especially when it comes with the old guard, is, uh, and I say the old guard as in like the group, is uh, they, like you said, they could live forever. And up until the last part of the movie, the, the, the last, I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie, they had no idea why they were doing the things that they were doing. They said, oh, we want to we want to do, you know, we want to help a little bit in this world. Well, how much how much were you really helping if you didn't really know or realize what you were doing? Um, and you were doing it for money. So it's not, <laughs> it's not like you were, you know, it's not like you were doing it out of the goodness of your heart. So, you know, you live forever. Why, why are you out there fighting? Why are you out there killing people? Why are you essentially mercenaries for hire? live <laughs> yeah i don't know i also didn't totally understand the whole reveal that like the people that andy was saving throughout the millennia ended up positively contributing to society and all of this stuff so 
they the way they made it seem was that like basically everybody she saves seems either like supernaturally blessed or something so that they are destined for greatness later or something. Mm -hmm. Did you interpret it that way? Or is it just this probabilistic thing that, you know, you save enough people, you're bound to save the the person who, you know, saves the kid who cures cancer or whatever. Um, yeah. So there, there is this kind of overlying thing that I caught on to. I don't know if anybody else will feel it or think the same way, but there is this kind of higher power kind of story that goes on in the background mm -hmm. where Andy and her team don't know why they exist or why they have visions every time that they find a new one of them or why, you know, Kiki Lane's character, Niall, is, is all of a sudden awakening as one of them. And it kind of gives this overtone that there is this all-knowing power that's kind of either taking away her her immortality or giving immortality to someone else and pushing them on this unknown mission that is kind of best laid plans, mm -hmm. I guess, to save certain people that would go on to do these amazing things. So there is this overtone of maybe this is all part of a greater plan type of thing. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that at all, but it makes complete sense. I mean, that I like that interpretation. And I think that that also, um, you know, kind of explains some of the things that are more or less unexplainable. And I don't know, you know, <laughs> from a writing standpoint, I don't know how great it is to be like, well, the plot holes are because there's a divine power or whatever. But I think that does explain, <laughs> you know, why she suddenly stops aging or why Niall is important. Um, and maybe this is something that's revealed in the graphic novels and it'll be a seminal point in the second one or something like that. I like that interpretation a lot. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. And I And if you really looked at any kind of uh, science fiction or supernatural or fantasy type movie, there's always going to be some plot hole that you could find. Mm -hmm. Always. There's yeah. there's never a perfect one. And inside that plot hole is this kind of general excuse, whether it be the higher power or, oh, the the magnetic field of the earth shifted or, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, just something eagles. to explain it away. Exactly. So... There's always going to be something that explains those things away, whether it's a passing thought or it's something that somebody really put some thought into and said, well, how am I going to explain how this happens or why this happens? So what are your thoughts on the kind of post-credit scene of this movie that says, hey, that lady that was drowning at the bottom of the ocean, she's alive <laughs> and she's going to talk to Booker now. How does, uh, is there, is there a way for you to explain that? Yeah, so... I, you know, I think the, the, the idea of Quinn as a character and what happened to her being in this Iron Maiden coffin, pushed off a ship, sitting in the middle of the ocean, just dying relentlessly for 500 years. That is an absolutely terrifying oh, thought. Oh, yeah. That is a terrifying thought. And... You had to know somewhere in introducing that character that they were going to call back to it. They mm -hmm. had to. 
There was no way that it was just, oh, yeah, you know, they pushed her off a ship. She's at the bottom of the ocean. She keeps dying over and over and over again. It it had to explain itself in one way or another. It had to bring it back. And I think it was kind of a smart thing to bring it back that way. But then I start looking at it and I go, well, how does Quinn know about Booker? Has has Quinn been out of this coffin for a long time and she's been watching the team? Is she following Andy? Is she she just kind of alludes to like, oh, I know who you are. Oh, you're Booker. Hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's 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 a good ending because it allows for more expansion. But let's say, you know, Netflix looks at this and they go, well, we don't want to make another one. Well, you just kind of decimated your ending with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i agree with you that the the quinn character and just that whole thing is it's it to me was one of the coolest ways that they explored the immortality idea um i think that that's always something that's been really fascinating about immortality and almost like a plot hole in a way for me sometimes when i think about immortality like what happens if you just starve to death. Are you just going to perpetually starve to death if you're immortal or, you know, so I really like that character. I really like that as just, just the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. It reminds me a lot of the TV show heroes. Did you ever watch that? Oh yeah. 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 Cause there's yep. an episode in that or a season where one of the antagonists is a, um, a person who lives forever. And, I mean, I guess tiny spoilers for heroes here, too. Um, at the end of the season, they like kind of imprison him by burying him alive, which mm. is not quite as fucked up as drowning for all of eternity. But it is still pretty messed up. Like, I was not on board with them doing that. I thought that was probably one of the most unimaginable things possible is just like suffocating to death under, you know, being buried alive. Terrifying. Um it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned the <laughs> the starving to death. So I I had a random thought during the movie in thinking about immortals, and maybe I kind of drew it back to uh, I don't know a, a Dracula sans blood or whatever. But if you're immortal, do you really need to eat? I just yeah. I just wonder about that. Like, is it is it necessary? Because I mean, food is for keeping your body going. And if you're immortal, your body is kind of regenerating itself all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, with that same logic, you probably wouldn't, you know, need to really do anything. Like, you'd never feel... So, <laughs> that's weird because they say that they do feel pain. So, I guess, I mean, the answer is that they will get hungry, but then shouldn't the hunger cure itself pretty quickly yeah, just kind of you know? go away yeah like like oh i think i'll have a snack bar uh no never mind i'm good <laughs> yeah it's just you get hungry but you get over it really quickly yeah and you you had a callback uh and it's it's a weird correlation between heroes in this movie is that and 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 it happens with with many other movies i've i've seen where they set themselves up Kind of thinking, I mean, at least with the writers, with the writers of the movie, they set themselves up with an ending expecting that there's going to be a sequel. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's one of those things that writers and directors and producers should start really looking at before they start making movies that end that way is, 
okay, we don't know how well it's going to do, but looking at the film footage and looking at the story and looking how, at, at who we have casting this movie, is it possible that we're going to have a sequel? Should we write it like this? Should we make the ending ambiguous like this? To me, it's a very TV way of approaching movies. And I, that's not like a novel observation or anything. But you can definitely see that with a lot of TV shows that after the first season, there's something that usually is pretty definitive that it's like, well, if this is all we get, then it's over. But they always kind of have these strings that they can definitely pick up. And I think mm -hmm. the thing that always concerns me about that is that sometimes it seems like a TV show is making a season one and that's all they've got. And then somebody is like, hey, you need to make a season two or you need to include something that suggests there's a season two if we want to do it in a year. And yeah. This one, at the very least, does have a contained story. It's not like Henry Melling or Harry Melling or Dudley Dursley, whatever his actor's name is. Uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, you Harry know, Melling. Um, it's not like he slinks away or something like that. And it's not like there's a ton of these extra threads. So like, if all we get is this movie, then I don't feel personally like we were robbed of a story, um, with the exception of that final scene. Which makes me wonder if it would have been better as like a post post credit or something, you know? Yeah, I this I mean, even the wrapping up of the quote unquote punishment for Booker, you know, yeah. where Andy comes down and she says, hey, you know, uh, you, you turned on us. It's not like we can kill you, but we can cast you away for 100 years. And I mean, maybe to these people, 100 years is still a long time. Yeah. You know, they still got to live through it. But I mean, really, if you've been alive for you know, a thousand years, let's say, is a hundred years really going to, you know, how, how long does that seem to you? But either way, they they did wrap up that part of it, that punishment. You know that Booker in a hundred years will be part of the team again. You know that Andy's character will not. <laughs> yeah, so is she going to age now or is she just like has to be really careful and not get killed? See, and that's that's a thing that I also thought about. If they do make a sequel to this, which if if it if it's received well enough, I I would see no reason why they wouldn't make another one. Mm -hmm. But if they make a sequel for it, you have to do one of those things where you explain away what happened with Andy's immortality. There's going to be, I guarantee, Charlize Theron, she will be back for the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> and they will figure out a way that her, her, her immortality comes back. It, it could even be, maybe even be the basis for the storyline of the movie. Yeah. So nothing ever, so nothing is immortal except for the franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but so does like a sequel to this film excite you? Like, do you want to see more from this world? Or is this a thing that's sort of like they've explored everything that they could? Well, it's kind of like we said, where it has this, you're you're more interested in the the real fantasy history part of this team. Yeah. I I like you was looking at it and I go, hmm, I could definitely watch a two hour movie just going through the timeline of this team. Even from where it's Andy and Quinn by themselves, then they go on to meet Booker, then they go on to meet Joe and Nikki, then they you know 
I, I could I could watch a whole movie based on yeah. that. <laughs> I think that and and maybe it's the history buff in me that likes the sequences that they could play out in a type of movie like that. Um, but I would I would love to see that. I would love to see them going through the Crusades and earlier going through the Civil War, going through you know the the time period thing. I think would be really good. And as far as the sequel goes, I just. <sighs> I don't know. It's 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 tough to say. Yeah, like <laughs> it's tough to say. Do we really care about what's going to be Quinn's revenge for something that was like, yeah, she made a promise to her, but that is literally the hardest thing to do is find the bottom of the ocean, like a single spot yeah. and find, yeah. you know, like she could call James Cameron and be like, "Hey, where's your submarine, Cameron? <laughs> Want to help me out?" But yeah, I mean, I just I think the, a prequel in this instance, which is actually interesting, that we would be clamoring for a prequel before a sequel. But mm. that is definitely where the most interesting part of this film and this whole world lies. There, there was there was an interesting line, and I think that's that's where they're kind of gonna hardline this the sequel story if there is one is they kind of said well she she's got to be gone crazy by now yeah true and you know oh well you know living and dying every few minutes for 500 years will drive <laughs> anybody crazy well yeah and that that is that i think right there is the explanation that's where quinn becomes the villain and how do you kill a villain that won't die Spoiler alert, you're going to put her in a coffin and you're going to throw her back in the ocean. Because <laughs> I'll tell you right now, that's how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good guess. I would be willing to wager that. <laughs> so when do you think Andromeda started going by Andy? Do you think there was a point where she was going by Andromeda and she realized that that was just way too out of style? Yeah, I would say it, it was most likely during the 1990s. Yeah, you think she was Andromica all the way until the 1990s? Or do you think she might be like Andrea or something? She she probably thought it was a great name. Other people were like, wow, that's really interesting. And then she hit the 90s. She got a cool denim jacket. Uh, you know, she, she started listening to John Bon Jovi, doing her jobs. And then it was just, hey, you know, I'm hip now. My name is Andy. <laughs> <laughs> She's very hip in this movie. Let's go ahead and end it with that. I think I think we've done a great job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Mike, I don't know if you've also had a ton of time to be watching things, but uh, what have you been watching lately? Oh, man. I have I've, I've felt like I've been watching nothing but science fiction. Uh, maybe it's due to the show. Maybe it's <laughs> due to just what's stuck in my head and, and what interests me the most. But um, I just, you know, as far as TV goes, I just uh, finished Devs, which Ooh. I think was a great series. And um, that's I, Nick Offerman in it. I, yeah. I saw as this very creepy guy and it, that was conveyed very well to me and I loved it. Um, I also finished uh, Dispatches from Elsewhere. Okay. Is that the one with Jason Siegel? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so... I have some serious, serious problems with Dispatches from Elsewhere. Uh, it was kind of a 10-episode series, and uh, up until episode 10, I was good. 
<laughs> the way that they ended that sh- that show, or at least the first season of that show, I guess yeah. there, will, there will be more. It was not satisfying, and it actually kind of pissed me off. So, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I've been watching a lot of sixty sci-fi and just getting ready for the shows. <laughs> Dispatches from elsewhere. I don't know anything about the show except that it's AMC because it would show up immediately after um, Better Call Saul, the the last season mm-hmm. of Better Call Saul. So we were watching that, and for some reason, when you watched uh, the episodes of Better Call Saul on the AMC website, it would actually put the two episodes together in like a single stream. So it would be Better Call Saul for the first hour or so, and then it would be like five minutes of commercials and then another hour for this dispatches from elsewhere. And (laughs) it took us like maybe three or four weeks to realize that it wasn't like a long episode of better call Saul. So every time we'd start (laughs) it and be like, Oh yes, this is one of those double episodes. It's so great. And then it gets to roughly 45 minutes and you're like, it feels like this episode is wrapping up. How are we only halfway through? And then it would end and then it'd be like, no, up next, dispatches from elsewhere. And so I also dislike that show, but for a completely trivial reason that doesn't matter at all. But I want to know the trivial reason. <laughs> oh, no, that that is the reason. Just that. Oh, that's the reason. Yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, You know, I, I enjoy it as like a fun mystery kind of problem solving show. And, um, you know, AMC kind of bunching it together with Better Call Saul. Hey, let's just put this on the end here and people will eventually dive into it but like what do they think people are just going to be like oh well it's already playing i mean maybe but it it felt hey it feels weird to log on to something specifically to watch better call saul and just being like well you know i've got an hour (laughs) to kill might as well just let the stream keep running i don't know with a with a show that is not even close to what better call saul is so um, I mean, hey, how many times have you been sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden Netflix asks if you're still there? That's true. So, I mean, it, sure, you're watching the same show, but sometimes you just let it run. You go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I've been watching a lot of conspiracy theory shows, too. I uh, I actually just am getting into starting a, a second podcast. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. So it's... <laughs> It's a, it's a little background research, but yeah, it's it's been interesting. <laughs> Have you watched like the, what is that, Unexplained Mysteries thing on Netflix? That seems to be really popular. Hey, you, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that also, because after I watched The Old Guard, I watched an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So, oh, yeah, yeah I, I, um, I, I watched it back, you know, in the 90s or whatever when it was on. And as a younger kid back then, you know, I didn't really know was watching i was just like oh this is cool it's kind of spooky it's got weird music so <laughs> um now retrospectively it's a great show and it kind of dove me into this new series with hopes that it would be kind of the same but updated so and and off of the one episode that i've seen i'm i'm not you know i'm, I'm sold on it so far cool cool so uh, what I've been watching lately is I got to check out a very small independent movie called Ghost. You know when you and mom had me? How old were you? I was younger than you. How did you manage? I 
opportunities arise, you take them. Keep your head above the water. This is an independent film from Story Image Films. It's written and directed by Anthony Z. James. Uh, Mike, have you ever, have you had the chance to watch like some of these really small independent films that are just like, like literally they're, they're put together on an iPhone or whatever. And it's, it's somebody that just really wants to watch, wants you to watch their movie. Um, you know, I don't, I, I've had a couple invitations, especially with the podcast yeah. where you'll get a person on, on Twitter, mostly they'll come to you and they'll say, Hey, you know, I'm a struggling director, you know, writer, would you watch my short film? And I don't know, you know, I, I, it's, it's a fine balance between, me wanting to find something that is very niche and small and well done uh, with completely watching the first five minutes of something that you send me and going, I can't do this. Uh, I've had a couple run-ins with, with a couple small time directors and small time filmmakers. And sometimes you get something and you're very surprised about it. But most of the time, at least from my experience, I'm not saying this is this is definitely not across the board, but from what I've been sent, I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people asking you to watch a lot of things. Um, I mean, I by no means have a large podcast and, you know, I, I tend to get quite a few things where people will ask me to review things or watch them or whatever. And um, I usually kind of just ignore it. Um, but something about this one, I, I decided to watch the trailer and I thought that, okay, that, that it looks, it looks cool. Um, so this is a kind of a, a intimate story. It's shot completely on an iPhone eight. So it has a very on the ground filmmaking style and it is this really personal and intimate story about a man played by Anthony Mark Streeter, who is released from prison and he's basically just trying to reconnect with his son and kind of get his life back together. And it's really just a film about trying to move on from your past and how you can have all the right intentions going forward. You can do absolutely everything right. You can say, all the things I did in my past, I'm done. Um, you can do all that. And sometimes the past still comes back and it haunts you. And I don't think that's a particularly, you know, it's not a super novel idea. Like you've definitely seen this story before in a lot of mobster movies or television shows or things like that. Um, but it's usually not this intimate in scope. And I really think that there's not a lot of fat to the story. It's very lean. It's about one individual person and his one or two relationships. So it's not a movie that you should expect to have like a ton of action in it or anything, but it's much more about these relationships with these very quiet and reserved characters. And I think because of the way that it's filmed, it's using an iPhone with an anamorphic lens. So it kind of widens everything and kind of 
really gets you up into the character's personal spaces, which really pumps you up with anxiety and tension throughout the film. And then that kind of pays off at the end. I think the ending of this film really capitalizes on the tension. And I think it's just a pretty fun and simple um, execution of a confident, independent film. So for these types of films, like you said, there's there's a lot of them that are are, are not good. And I think that this one was actually pretty surprising. Um, it's available on Amazon Prime and it's also on Vimeo On Demand. So I think that like if you or, you know, like a listener or whatever is interested in supporting these very small types of indie films, uh, I think this is a great one to give a shot. And you said you said it's called Ghosts? Yeah, I th- it's uh, in the US. It's called XCon Redemption. And it's a very short. It's like, you know, 80 minutes or something like that. But I, I, I liked it. Um, and actually, because Story Image Films just really wants people to see their films, they uh, have provided a promo code that you can use to watch. You can watch it on Vimeo for free. Um, you can use that promo code. It's called Ghost Marathon. It's all one word, capitals, G-H-O-S-T-M-A-R-A-T-H-O-N. So I'll provide that in the show, lo- uh, in the show notes. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I think there is something interesting about seeing these really, really tiny films. And it not only makes you appreciate the bigger films that you get, you know, and how clearly how much effort is put into those big, giant movies, even the ones that are really, really bad. You know, like you get an Artemis vowel sometimes, but there is so <laughs> much money pumped into that thing. And just the production behind it is crazy when you compare it to something like this movie. And it's just really interesting to see how both of these things are films and how they work on different levels. And I I think it's a really important part of understanding films uh, in a way. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I think, you know, if you look at the, (laughs) I know it's a weird, weird thing to dive into, but if you look at the cell phone market, I, I think, manufacturers of cell phones would do themselves a great service if they would just start marketing their phones to filmmakers. Yeah. Why not have a lens that that can shoot film really well? What's the what's the problem with that? You you know like you said, you have a you have an 80 minute film here. An 80 minute film that's shot entirely on a phone? That's amazing. And why not have even if it's a specialty one off phone that has an amazing camera to it you you'll see these these you know these indie filmmakers really utilizing that what's the uh what's the <laughs> the phrase that it's like uh, necessity breeds creativity or something like that yeah exactly it's it's you know you create a market that's what you got to do that's that's you know it's I forget what the marketing term is. Something to do with the blue ocean, but it's 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 <laughs> no like you, you know you got you got to <laughs> I know I'm sorry you, you got to kind of create your own market and yeah. it, like I said it's kind of weird to get into but you know if cell phones if you start pandering to a completely different crowd why not you know with these with these filmmakers not everybody can afford you know a five thousand dollar camera ten thousand dollar camera they, these guys are working on shoestring budgets. Give them a shoestring camera. Why not? Yeah, I think that it is definitely now easier to make a film than it has ever been before just because you can get a camera. And I mean, yeah, like you obviously need a pretty good lens or whatever, but even just on an iPhone 8 or something, you can make something that looks relatively good. I mean, this movie does not look like the old guard. 
Um, you can tell <laughs> that it is, if not shot on an iPhone, it's at least not shot on a traditional camera, but it still looks good and you can move around and get these really cool shots. And, you know, Steven Soderbergh has been pioneering making films on, uh, on phones for, for a while with like free flying bird, which I thought was great and worked really well for that type of film. So yeah, I mean, it, it'd be really cool if there were, was more of this kind of mainstream push to make it so that cell phones could be this type of better filming experience. But anyways, that is Ghost. Um, I, it's also called XCon Redemption in the U.S., so so look for it. And like I said, I'll provide a link and a promo code for people to, to watch it for free. So this has been our review of The Old Guard. Mike, thanks again for joining me today. Uh, I thought this was great. Yeah, I had a blast. It was great. Yeah, I'm glad that we uh, got to really dive into the sci-fi parts of this sci-fi-ish. Uh, movie. <laughs> so I'll have to have you on again sometime soon for an actual sci-fi movie and we can really uh, geek out and I'll ask you oh, all, all that stuff. Anytime. anytime. <laughs> Is there anything specific you'd like to plug here? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can catch me on my podcast, Quiet on the Set. Uh, we release episodes every Friday. We're on all streaming platforms. We range from retro 60s all the way through 2010 current sci-fi we kind of explore the decades week by week and do a roundabout. And as of late, I've had a lot of great guests, Matee included. And I thank everyone for that. But uh, other than that, yeah, just uh, just the podcast. <laughs> you can find <laughs> us on Facebook at Quiet on the Set Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Quiet underscore guys. Awesome. And I will provide all of that information in the show notes as always. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie dash marathoners and we are also on itunes google play stitcher radio spotify overcast himalaya and Castbox. so please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated so thank you all for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time for a best of quarantine episode where my guest and i will break down some of the best films that we've seen in quarantine so far so stay tuned for that until then Bye. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> no, right.